You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. We are in John chapter 1, verse 4. We will go through verse 9. Now what you're going to see here is, so I'm grabbing the end of the first paragraph of the book. Got another paragraph there, and then the first sentence to the third paragraph. So we're kind of stretching over a couple of paragraphs, and there's an important reason we're doing that. We're, we see three very specific things in the text today that can help us understand the wonderful Christmas gospel. So let's begin with verse 4. In him, okay, the logos, Jesus, the word, in him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you came into the world. And Lord, the sparkle of life and the sparkle of light that you brought is like no other god i ask that any darkness that we brought in in our hearts and in our minds will be dispelled today by that tiny photon that's all it takes a tiny little particle of light to drive away the darkness lord we want to drive away all darkness in this room so that we can know you more and Lord, love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is light, and in him is life. No one that has ever lived in the history of the world sparkles quite like Jesus. When you read the stories of Jesus, they never grow old because he's always full of love and life. He's always sharing truth that connects and matters. We must always humble ourselves before the Christmas light. You know, it's an interesting thing to grow old. Uh, what, what that does is it gives you more experience and a little bit of a track record. You can see how much more weird the world is today than it was, say, 20 years ago. Well, let me give you an example of how the world's just got a little stranger. So we had uh, had in our neighborhood, we have a lot of people come to our neighborhood at Halloween to get candy. I guess in our neighborhood, you know, there's somebody handing out big gigantic candy bars. We just give the cheap stuff from Walmart, but I'm sorry, we do what we can. <laughs> so our neighborhood was crazy. They decorated for Halloween like you wouldn't believe. There was all kinds of skeletons and silly stuff. I'd never seen anything like it. It was uh, the Day of the Dead in Mexico on, you know, like turbocharged. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, we, we have uh, some, new, some new friends in our home that come from other places in the world. I can't say more than that, but let me just say that it's been fun to, to kind of experience America through the eyes of a person that was born and raised in another country uh, because this person just keeps saying, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> and I keep having to shrug my shoulders and say, well, I haven't figured it out yet either. But here's what's crazy. We had Halloween. All this decoration for Halloween in our neighborhood. I'm talking over the top. I mean, people need to not spend so much money on this stuff. It was crazy. And I am not joking you. November 1st, our neighborhood had Christmas lights. 
Now, that's crazy. We ain't even had Thanksgiving yet, and everybody's throwing up their Christmas lights. And I thought, man, that just isn't right. But the more I thought about it, I'm just kind of dealing with it. I'm, I'm old and set in my ways, and it's okay. Because Christmas lights are pretty, aren't they? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a, it's a good thing. But it's still crazy. I don't know. In our neighborhood, with all the Teslas, I, I don't know how even the electric company can do it, honestly. <laughs> but Christmas lights are awesome. In 2013, right at 10 years ago, NASA did a study. And here's what they found. That at this time of year, especially in the southern United States, the light emission from America increases 20%. Now that's crazy. But it shows again that there's something about Christmas and Christmas lights. When I read that fact, uh, my mind immediately, immediately went to a certain Christmas movie where Clark puts up 25,000 <laughs> Italian twinkle lights. Now what's funny about that is I did a little research on that and found out that if in December 1989, you had to pay uh, Mr. Clark's, Clark Griswold's electric bill, it would have been $2,200 at the going rate in 1989. That's $5,200 in today's money. Now, I'm all for Christmas lights, but once again, that's just crazy. People putting their Christmas lights out. They paid big dollars, not just with the electric bill, but now we have to put Christmas lights out professionally. You know, back when I did it, climbing on roofs and stuff like that, you know, there was a light here, there was a light there. It was all disjointed. But you know, when you go into the certain neighborhoods and everything is perfectly spaced and geometrical, yeah, you didn't do that. You paid somebody to do that. Now, somebody's going to come up to me later and say that they did do that because some of you are just, well, type A personalities and good for you. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny keeps saying, are we going to do that? And I'm like, no, no, we're not. <laughs> I think it would be better to give it to Lottie Moon, but that's just me. But did you know there's actually some science as to why this is important? In fact, one of the reasons connects well with um, this idea that we've been trying to, to put out there for you for a long time about being a good neighbor. It has been scientifically proven that people who have Christmas lights on their homes are viewed as more approachable neighbors. So if you need an excuse for how much money you spent on your Christmas lights, you can go to David Burton and say, I'm just being a good neighbor, as he's been telling us how to be that. So that's one reason. Another thing is, those of you who are medical doctors in the room, uh, there is some science out there that says that colored lights in particular, uh, when you view them, they release dopamines in our brains, which make us feel good. And so there's a, another reason for the Christmas lights and that they, they make us feel good. So there are two good reasons for you to have Christmas lights. Because I, I had to say that because I don't want to sound like I'm being negative. Not about Christmas lights because really this time of year, we do need to let that light shine. The world needs to see the Christmas lights. And I'm not talking about the ones on your dormers outside the world needs to see Christmas lights. If the lights on your home give you an opportunity to share the light of Christ in your heart, amen. Because it's all about light. It's about the light that Jesus has brought to the world. You see, light does something to our hearts. It's something special, something powerful. And the gospel of Jesus has a sparkle of light and life like no other. And I want to share that message with you today today. 
Because as we share that message with you today, the hope is, is that the truth of who Jesus is, the word become flesh that dwelt among us, if that gospel truth can grab a hold of your heart, or to put it in the proper terms for us here today, set your heart and your soul afire. If the light of Christ can shine from you, then you will sparkle and you will make a difference for the community and for the kingdom of God. Let's dive into the text and see what it has to teach us. First, Jesus is the sparkle you can't live without. Now, another reason why we put lights up at this time of year is that winter is pretty dull. The trees aren't as pretty as they were. You know, we have these wonderful explosions of color in the fall, and then we go to just the bleakness of brown, right? It's a hard thing to look at. And, and so during the winter season, there is a little less brilliance, a little less brightness. But isn't it interesting that... Never happened before. Oh, there we are. All right, we're good. We're good. All right. So I didn't want to have to yell at you and lose my voice. The second service needs to hear this too, okay? But the reality is, is that as we come to this time of year, we need that light. We need that sparkle. I'm reminded of that wonderful line from C.S. Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia. When the children first come to Narnia, uh, there's nothing but winter and ice. The white witch has taken over and it's all cold. And one of the characters says, it's terrible because it's always winter and never Christmas. That's a good line. It's always winter, but it's never Christmas. And about that time, uh, Father Christmas shows up. It's a, it's a pretty powerful picture there. And Lewis was writing from a perspective of faith. But I love that thought that at Christmas, even though it's cold and it's bleak and, and, and snow covers the ground and everything is dormant, we are reminded at Christmas that darkness, though it is a reality, it is not the ultimate reality. It is not what wins because we have the light of men, verse 4 tells us. Jesus is nothing less than God at work in the world. Now hear this. Jesus is nothing less. When we go to the Gospels, whether it's John or the other three Gospels, we see Jesus saying and doing things. But Jesus makes it clear that when you see him and hear him, you see the Father and you hear the Father. Jesus was not just a lesser light in the world, but he was the light of men. He is the way to understand God. I am convinced that the world today, most people in the world want to know about God. God knows this, and that's why he sent Jesus. I believe that Jesus is nothing less than God's work in the world. But I do realize that darkness is a reality. It is a strong force. If you're reading the news these days, scientists are, they think they're getting very close to understanding dark matter. Like 94% of the universe is made out of darkness and they're trying to figure this out. Well, as a theologian, I can tell you right now that most of the time I'm experiencing more than 94% darkness in human hearts. I mean, darkness does seem to be the majority presence in this world. If we're negative, that's all we see. But Christian, stop being negative. Stop thinking that darkness has the final say because all it takes is one tiny photon of light coming from your heart to chase away the darkness. 
you being a strong Christian witness at your place of work in your neighborhood can make a huge difference for the kingdom. Because hear this, light and dark are opposites, but they are not equals. The light is stronger. If you are a Christian, what is in you is stronger than that which is in the world. That is the promise of Scripture. And we need to realize that when it comes to life and death, even life and death, it seems like death has the last say. But Jesus brings the sparkle of life that is for all men, a spark of eternity we cannot live without. We are here today not to be just another social institution doing good works in the world. We do a lot of good works, Ridgecrest. We do a lot of good things for the kingdom here in this world, but we believe above all that everybody we meet or ever will meet has an eternal soul that can only be lit up by the love and gospel of Jesus. We keep talking about sharing our faith because that's the light that the world needs most. Yes, the world needs love and kindness and all the warm fuzzies that emotions can bring, but what people need more than anything is the love of Jesus in their heart. The whole point of John chapter 1 is to show us the unique, self-existent nature of Jesus. All other biographies start with a birth. Now, it's interesting. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about and predict. We have angels and prophets and all those things happening that predict the coming of Jesus. But we have a little bit more of a traditional, uh, someone is born, they live their lives, they die in the Gospels. Now, what's not traditional is, is that Jesus, you know, is de- he defeats death, right? raises from the grave. So his biography is a little different. But here in John, we don't have the birth narrative. We hear this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We believe, not just with this one passage, but many others in the New Testament, that Jesus was not another prophet. He wasn't another person. He was the Son of God, unique in every way. The unique connection that he brings to the world, the unique connection of connecting us with real life that lasts forever. I want you to, when you think about Jesus, Christian, when you think about Jesus, realize he is the bridge between this world and the next. There is no detour. We live in a part of Missouri right now that is growing fast, and there's road construction everywhere, and thank the Lord that there's detours. We can go around. We can get there one way or the other. Let me just say this. There's no clever detour to heaven. There's no other way but Jesus. That is why we have urgency in our message. That's why born-again Christians cannot be silent. We cannot just live and let live in that sense. Now, we want to live and let live in the sense that we're tolerant of others. We're not trying to push anything on anybody. But we must always make sure that our voice, when it is filled with the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, is heard. If you're going to be loud and ugly, then we don't want your voice. But if you are going to be loud and full of love and light and hope, we'll start to shouting, brothers and sisters in Christ. The church has been silent long enough. John 5, 26 amplifies John 1, 3 and says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus is unique. And he is a light that the darkness has not overcome. The darkness, we are told, is passing away. And if we walk in the light of Jesus, we can overcome 
all sin and darkness. All those ideas are what we call Johannian, either in the gospel or in his letters. Jesus is the master of light, the champion over darkness. I keep saying, remember that the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I'm just going to pause parenthetically here for just a moment. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Too many of you wake up every morning assuming that the darkness will win. That is not true if you cling to Christ. The darkness may get you some days. There may be some days that you don't turn the light on, but please turn the light on, the light of Jesus. One of the reasons we are so down so often is because we're being so disobedient. And one of the ways we're being so disobedient, and I'll get to this in a minute, is that we're not witnessing for Jesus. When we're never sharing our faith, there is something down deep inside of us that has to know that we are being more children of darkness in that moment than children of light. How can that not make us feel dark? But praise God, the darkness is passing away. I am convinced that the darkness is passing away for this generation. I believe that God is setting up this generation. We have a generation of young people that I think are hungry for spiritual truth. And if we will be faithful in shining the light, we will see revival in our age. But we, those of us with gray hair and, you know, we pop like Rice Krispies every time we move. You know, those of us. We need to pray for this revival. We need to build up those young people. And we need to do everything we can to amplify the light of Jesus. Those who do not walk with Jesus are eventually overtaken by the darkness. In fact, there are many people who do not know where they are going. Especially beyond this life. I know people who have made plans for their life, but they have not made any plans for what happens after life. Some of you have wonderful wills and testaments. You've covered all the bases, but your soul is exposed to eternal darkness. How many people in our community are good folks, people who are open to the gospel, but don't know where they are going spiritually? In my experience, there are a handful of people out there that don't want to talk about Jesus. That's true. And here's what the devil's going to do. The devil's going to make sure the first person, when you try to share the faith seven times, the first person you talk to is going to slam the door and be that person that doesn't want to have a spiritual conversation so you won't have any more spiritual conversations. But most of the people out in the world today are open. If you come to them, not with a big, gigantic King James version of the Bible, I don't care which version you use, and start banging them over the head, that's what they're expecting. But if you go and love them well and care for them and listen to them, you'll be amazed at how hungry they are. I think all people know that there is eternity in their hearts and they're looking for answers. And friends, if you are here today and have been listening to the gospel for many years, you have the answer. But too many people out there who are open to spiritual conversation are running into a problem. And the problem is there are too few Christians ever engaging in spiritual conversation. There are more people wanting to hear about the gospel than there are Christians willing to share the gospel. Why would we challenge you to talk to seven people? Because we're pretty sure that the average Christian doesn't share ever. Not just in the course of a year, but they'll go their whole lives and never have a meaningful gospel conversation. Friends, that is not okay. That is living in fear. That's allowing the darkness to win. 
And we should be bold enough to share with them the light and life of Jesus. Will we be brave enough to say what the Bible says about Jesus? Do we believe he is the life and light that no person can live without? Don't be afraid. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be afraid. Jesus' light is stronger than your darkness. His love is greater than your fear. His light, when you let it shine, will never stop shining. Take a look at the passage here. The light shines in the darkness. The word shines is in the present tense, which means that it doesn't stop shining. It's shining and it will, a perfect tense. It's shining and it will continue to shine. Now, notice this. Jesus' dark experience on the cross guarantees that light will always win. Now, if you'll take a look at the passage again, verse 5, it says the light shines in the darkness. Shines is perfect tense, meaning it doesn't stop. And the darkness has not overcome it. Now, here's the interesting thing about the word overcome. It's in the aorist tense, which points to a time, a point in history. That time and that point of overcoming is the cross, The cross, Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, death and darkness were defeated forever. So let me just take you now to verses 6, 7, and 8, and let's talk about we sparkle when we witness. There are times when I wish that Jesus would just show up, that Gabriel would blow the horn, and Jesus would show up, and everybody in the world that doesn't believe in Jesus would just be able to see for themselves how real he is. I would love for that to happen, but I believe that God is waiting for us to get off the, the, uh, our blessed assurance, I guess is one way to put it, and get out there and get to work. We have an opportunity, an obligation, we have an amazing opportunity and obligation to share the gospel, and I believe that God wants us to be witnesses of Jesus and for Jesus. We are to make the most of our moment in history By telling about the God who is above all history. When you read John 1, we're reading about the God who is above all history. As human beings, we sparkle most, though, when we are witnesses for Jesus. I believe that your birth into this world, your story, if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, you are a part of history because God wants to use your mind, your heart, your work, your love, everything about you to help other people find Jesus. You have this moment in history so that you can touch eternity. That's who we are in Christ. John 1 is beautiful in this way. It has this universal scope. And what's interesting is is that most people think that this is a song. It's a hymn. So our our, our musical people can appreciate this. When you look at verses 1 through 3, In the original Greek, it kind of has a little rhythm and a little rhyme, unlike me. But anyway, verses uh, 6 through 8, however, are more like me because it goes to prose. In other words, just telling us about something in history. What is the something in history that it's talking about? So we take a break from verse 1, and John begins to tell us about this guy by the name of John the Baptist. Now, the reason I mention this is because John the Baptist brings us from this eternal logos conversation, this philosophical eternal conversation, back down to earth, where we can see that it has always been about a witness. It has always been about those who will bear witness. John the Baptist happened to be the very first real witness of Jesus. Verse 7 says that he came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, John the Baptist 
wasn't a Baptist like I am or you are. It's just that he was a person who was called to point other people to Jesus. And one of the ways that he did that was he stressed a need for baptism that was about repentance. Because he knew that if we were going to come into the presence of the Son of God, we were coming with sin. And we needed to come with our hearts right. And we needed to repent of those sins. But there was also this understanding that our sins were too great. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. Because the only way to get rid of our incredible sin debt was the incredible sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. John the Baptist is pointing us to this reality. In fact, later he says in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew that Jesus had to somehow, some way, carry away, cleanse our hearts of sin. But we know that Jesus did that. And so in John 1, we have the cosmic telling of the Christmas story. But we see that the Christmas story does touch down into history. Jesus was born. He was born. And even John the Baptist as, as the ministry was about to start 30 years later after Jesus' birth, it was John the Baptist who helped us to see that this airplane had landed, that God had truly touched down on earth in the sense of the, the, the Son of God coming to be with us. Friends, we believe Jesus came to save us. We believe Jesus was willing to become one of us to save all of us. Do we believe that? The Word came into the world and when it did, when, when he did, when Jesus came into the world, people began to change. You see, the gospel is about changing people. It's not enough that you had a moment where you said, oh, I believe, now everything's okay. But the gospel gets a hold of us and then begins to transform us and conform us to the image of Christ. You see, the gospel is about radical change. And too many of you, I hate to say it, you don't seem that radical to me. Your witness isn't that radical. My witness at times has not been that radical. But we need to realize that we are called to turn people from darkness to light. Like John the Baptist, we are created to be a witness. The greatest we can be as human beings is when we witness in Jesus' name. The light of Jesus sparkles best when we witness we are not the answer. Jesus is the answer, but his light can sparkle through you. This pause in the hymn reminds us that we have an important role to play. We are called to be a witness like John the Baptist. Verse 9, let's finish with this idea. Jesus' sparkle is for the whole world. I want you to notice the text. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. You see, obviously, the key verse there, key word in the verse is that word, everyone. No matter where you go in the world, Christianity is a perfect fit for every human heart. The gospel is for the whole world, not just your world. The world today, when you study sociology and anthropology, and I'm sure you all do read all the, the literature on that, um, but when you do read the literature on that, what you realize is, is that religion has become something of a, just, uh, just a phenomenon that anthropologists describe as just a way we cope with this thing called death and sickness and things of that nature. And that's really all it is. It's, it's a coping mechanism, and there's no real power in it. In fact, they'll say, well, it's just absolutely like, they'll look back on the missional age 
uh, that started with William Carey in, in England, and so much of it has come from the United States. They look at this, oh, that's just terrible. That's, that's telling other people that their religion is wrong, and we should never do that. In other words, that, that we are Christians because we come from a certain uh, background. We have a Western, American, European, ancient Near Eastern connection there. And because of that, we just, we just need to stay in our own lane. Well, let me just tell you, Jesus and John the Baptist didn't stay in their own lane, and neither will we. Because I'm here to tell you, the gospel of Jesus is not just for one demographic. It is for the whole world. It has always been that way. Now, I have been blessed in my life. I grew up in a, in a small town in the middle of America, Right there, where the, very close to where the Ohio and the Mississippi come together. Kind of a, an interesting little part of the world. Uh, a nowhere part of the world as far as there's not a lot of population or anything else. But God has allowed me to preach the gospel in, in the Far East, in South Asia, in Eastern Europe, in Western Europe, in Latin America, and a few times here in America too. I've had the opportunity to worship with brothers and sisters of all creeds and colors, and I want to tell you, one thing is for sure, it's all a little bit different, but it's all been beautiful and blessed because it was about Jesus. And one of the things I realize is, is that the true light, which was given to everyone, Christmas and the lights of Christmas are not just for Christians, it's for the whole world. We are told that Jesus came into the world in a specific place at a specific time. But from the beginning, the communication about his mission was not that it was for the Jews alone. It was for everybody. God sent Jesus to save the world. And what happens is, is when we are faithful to preach the word, then we are able to see that every culture has a perfect spot for Christ. That God has culturally prepared every tribe and tongue to see that Jesus is the real deal. Once again, the problem isn't that our message isn't powerful. The problem is that our messengers are few. Too many of us have bought into what the secular academic world tells us to do, which is to each his own and stay in your own lane. But I believe that this is a message for the world. When we read about the light and life of Jesus... We are reading about the one answer to all the world's greatest problems. We have this unimaginable gift given to us from God in Jesus. The eternal one entered time and space to deliver us so that we could go into eternity, into heaven, where we can get beyond the darkness of this present world. I think about Christmas and lights, the fact that satellites going above us right now, can look down at night and see a sky much brighter because of your Christmas lights. Friend, let me say this. Refuse to turn off the light of your witness. Don't turn it off. Keep the light on because the world needs more of this light. The world needs more of the unique sparkle of Jesus that comes through you. The world doesn't need you. I know that. The world doesn't need me. But the world desperately needs Jesus. And Jesus is in me. And Jesus is in you. If you are a believer, Jesus is in your heart. And that's what needs to shine. The darkness will not be able to comprehend that if you let the light shine. But too many of us have not been letting that light shine. As we go into next year, as we go into this challenge to share the gospel let me just say this. This isn't in the notes. It's for free, baby. I'm giving it to you for free. 
Yesterday uh, marked five years since uh, Ridgecrest called me to be the pastor at Ridgecrest. And I wasn't really thinking about that. I was thinking more about January, January 1, because that's when I showed up and the real fun started. But, but the vote was uh, five years ago yesterday. And one of the things the Lord has, has shown me is that this first five years, I want you to think about this because it's kind of crazy, but I'm crazy, so just bear with me. This first five years has been nothing but the first chapter. One chapter. And this chapter was one where there needed to be healing, where we needed to renew, refresh. We needed to do some things that were, quite frankly, seemed to be more internally focused. We had to get our house in order because everybody has to do that from time to time. We had to get our house in order, and that was spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That would just be conceited to say such a thing. We're not perfect. We know that. But let me tell you what chapter 2 is going to look like. It's going to look like a whole lot different uh, deal because i got to be honest with you. I'm tired of spending my days figuring out colors of carpet and the colors of walls. I really don't care. Signs, I don't care if you like it or not. It's done. I don't want to think about it anymore. <laughs> I don't care. It, it, it is what it is. We did what we did. Uh, we've got our house in order. Let me tell you about the next five years. The next five years, we're going to plant churches here in Springfield, and we're going to plant churches around the world. We're going to go to neighborhoods that are not being reached that do not have churches in Springfield. Can you believe that? With all the banks and all the churches, there are entire neighborhoods in this area, this quadrant of Springfield, that need gospel-preaching churches. We are not going to invest so much inside, but we're going to break out of this place like some prisoner getting out of jail, and we're going to go out there and tell the world about Jesus. Let me just say, I, my wife and I, we've been so blessed five years here. The, the, the joy and the love and the sparkle of Jesus is in this place. I've been around the block a few times. I've been around the world a few times. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of great churches. But I'm telling you, what we have here is all we need to change the world. And the last five years, I've needed to figure myself out. I think you're figuring yourself out. And we, as the body of Christ, we have to say, what matters? What, what, how do we want to make our lives count in this world? We want to make our lives count by making sure the world knows that Jesus is our everything. And so he is the sparkle of Christmas. He is your sparkle. He is your light and life. Now all we have to do is make sure that everybody around you knows about it. And that you are sharing the Christmas light, the Christmas gospel, wherever you go. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.